Hello, my name is Abna Sewa, the editor of Akadi Magazine, and you're listening to Connecting Communities, a Miss B Writes and Akadi Magazine podcast that brings together the experiences of Ghanaians from across the globe. It's not often that we hear the experiences of people that migrated as children and teenagers from their birth country to another. But that's why we decided to host a clubhouse room in August 2021 to explore just that. Our special guest was Abna Eisen, author of Looking Up, a book that charts the journey of 13-year-old Essi, who leaves her life and her grandmother, her aunt and a cousin, to live with her mum in London. Abna kicks off this podcast with a reading from her book, but we also hear from the audience members who share their experience of migration, the impact it had on their adult life, and more. It would be good to spend some time with you and Izzy. Why? Mummy says in a raised voice, looking irate. You have not taken any interest in me or Izzy in all these years. Why do you want to spend time with us now? You know that's not true, Maggie. Father responds, sounding angry. Look, can I please come up? I would really like to talk with you and Issy. He turns to look at me, as if seeking my consent. I nod, not knowing what to say. Part of me is happy he has come because he wanted to talk to me and mummy. But the other half is still fuming. I catch mummy looking at me before she says reluctantly, okay, you can come up. Mummy starts to move away on her crutches as father walks up the stairs with me following him. Mummy invites father to sit on the sofa by the wall in the living room. I take mummy's crutches off her as she lowers herself into the armchair, furthest away from the sofa. I lean the crutches against the wall and I'm about to sit down on the armchair next to her when she says, Issy, can you please bring some water for your father? Yes, mummy. In the kitchen, I can hear mummy and father talking in the living room. Not the actual words, but the hum of their voices. Mummy must have wanted me out so that they could speak without me being there. I slowly go through the motions of getting a tray out of the tall kitchen cupboard, taking out three glasses from the wall cupboard by the sink and putting them on the tray along with a jug of water out of the fridge. Mummy and father's voices sound angry. I'm not sure that I want to go back and sit through their arguing. But father did say he had come to see me and he will not see a lot of me if I hide in the kitchen. So I pick up the tray, brace myself and walk into the living room. They abruptly stop talking when I come in. I place the tray on the center table. I take two of the glasses and put one on the small table next to father and one on the table next to mummy. Would you like some water? I ask father politely. His face softens as he says with a smile, yes, thank you, Issy. My mixed emotions make my hand shake a little as I pour the water into his glass. I offer mummy some water too. She nods and smiles tightly as I pour water into her glass. Finally, I pour myself some water and sit down. So how are you, Issy? Father asks, after drinking some of his water. 
I am fine, father. It's strange saying that word out loud. He seems to be when I call him father. It's good to see you. It has been too long. Why is that? I ask before I have a chance to stop myself. Why is what? Father looks puzzled. With my anger now burning a hole in my chest, I look father straight in the eye and ask, why is it that you have not seen me in so long? Father plays with his glass in his hand. Um, um, my anger will not allow me to look away from him. I want him to answer the question. I want to understand. You want me to stop there? Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, that really spoke volumes to me when I read that part because we all know that you can't stand there and speak. <laughs> you can't express yourself to your family if you're a child, even when you're an adult in front of elders. So it was really brave of Essie to do that, I thought. And I really liked how you portrayed that in the book. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, the idea was that she, she's feisty, but just... Um her anger pushes her to speak in the end in a new in a new society where um, she doesn't feel so inhibited well it really shows and i think that's one of the things that maybe when we decide that a child of ours if we if we're living in another country and we decide that we're going to bring children to that same country with with us i think parents focus on education and it's good for you it's a better um standard of living and maybe those are the concerns that a child might have are not addressed so we know that in the beginning of the book she does want to come to england but she's also a bit nervous because she's going to leave her grandma um and i just feel like those things aren't usually taken into consideration i don't know what you think both of you kofi and abana um okay i would like Sweet Kofi, but um, briefly in terms of Essie, she's become so used to her mother living in London and living with her grandmother that for her, that's what life has become. So she's very happy and content and settled in her, her grandmother's house. So when her mother finally suddenly calls for her, it's, and she faces the reality of having to let go of everything she knows, um, she's really not keen. She would much rather just stay where she is. Um, I'll hand over to you, Kofi. Thank you very much, Abana. So I'm so sort of in awe of the character and, you know, her nature because it's sort of opposite to what I'm about to talk about because my transition has been so different. You know, there, growing up, there wasn't that much confidence because I was still under the sort of, if you want to call it the old sort of fashion way of living, you know, um, you know, greet the elders, you know, when the elders are speaking, you know, don't don't listen in, you know, hush up when they're talking. So I was very, very sort of timid as far as speaking to the elders. But when it comes to talking to the people of my peers, I was extremely confident, if that makes sense. Um, the challenge is that I had sort of came from school and the idea of not being able to express myself to my parents that these are the kind of challenges that I'm facing. You know, um, people find my name funny, you know, I get called names, you know, I don't like the meals that we do. 
and we change it. I mean, if, with the meals, I was eventually able to sort of chuck it out there because I love food. So, you know, there, there was a, so, there's a whole area that I could speak about specifically that will sort of go on forever. And I think I'm, I'm more good to sort of sit in the background and if any people want to ask, you know, what was this like? And I'll be able to sort of specifically tell them more about the situation because the experience on hindsight there's so much to you know throw out there but yeah thank you abana oh we you know we should have abana e abana s but anyway <laughs> i don't know if sc wanted to speak as well okay um so i came here i think when i might have been about four or five um my grandma died. My mum had come here. My dad had come here first, but my mum came here and brought my uh, sibling because she was still a baby and left me. And um, I was with my grandma, but she died. So when my mum came back, she took me. Um, and, and I remember, the first thing I remember was throwing up in the plane. <laughs> and I think ever since I've always been sort of scared of heights and airplanes and flying. Um, and then I remember arriving at the airport and it was so foggy and it was cold and I, was, I wasn't dressed appropriately. I think I was wearing like a short sleeve shirt and something, but nothing like for the weather that I just arrived in. And I just remember the fog and the grey. That's like one of my most vivid memories. Um, other things, I mean, I, there, were, there were lots of things, but like even... One of the memories my mum used to say to me was when I came and I, I couldn't communicate with my siblings because I didn't know English. So I'd be speaking God to them or uh, tree or whatever it was that I was speaking at the time because I was able to speak three or th um, three of them apparently. But anyway, um, and they, they would just sort of not understand it and I wouldn't sort of understand. And I was trying to communicate, you know, everything. But she also said to me that because the weather was cold, she wanted to put trousers on me and I would look at her and say, like, what do you think? Do I look like a boy that I'm going to wear trousers? So it was like really, it was really weird. Like in my head, girls don't wear trousers. There's only boys that do wear the trousers. But obviously as time went on, I, I wore trousers, it was nothing, you know. But for me, that was really like... How, what, do you, what do you mean, woman? Um, and, um, yeah, there's so much that happened. I remember um, snow as well for the first time. Look, it looks really, really nice, but understanding that it, it's so biting and, and cold as well. But we were young, so I just enjoyed and had fun. Um, and even school experiences. School experiences were very varied. Um, the first school that I went to, I remember my mum had to be called in. When she was called in, the headmistress said um, something to her like, when, when the other children try and talk with her, she will sort of push them away. And, and she, you know, obviously I'll speak my language because I don't know English and I'll speak, you know, I don't, they didn't have any support for children who speak other languages, EAL support, nothing was there for, at that time. And um, so they called my mum and said that when, the head teacher apparently said that when, when I'm trying to even tell her off, she's just standing there smiling at me. And she couldn't understand why I'm, I smile, even though I'm a natural smiler. My mum was just sort of annoyed, like, well, at least the child wasn't shouting back at you or doing anything, you know, uh, sort of rude. She was just smiling. 
I can't even communicate in the language, but it was such a big issue for the headmistress. Anyway, I, I left that place, went to a new place. But in the new place, what I got mo mainly was was the, um, you're too dark, you're too black. You need to go back to Africa. And it wasn't from, like, white kids necessarily, it was from the Caribbean kids. And it, it just goes to show a lot about the mentality at that time. And, and even sometimes it still prevails till today, but, um, you know, the mentality where it's like, Anything that was African wasn't cool. It wasn't hip. It wasn't even cool to be dark. Nothing. So everything about you was just not what anyone wanted. And it was having to... Because I don't, even then, I think I was quite proud of who I was. I didn't, I didn't realise there was an issue until people told me that there was an issue. Because in Ghana, I was never called too black or too dark-skinned or go back or anything like that. But um, growing up from, I guess, five, six, and that, that was when I was starting to be shaped, you know, my view of society, etc. And being that way was not cool. And um, it was, like, always having to sort of fight. Like, I remember having, um, having a conversation, or not a conversation, like a fight with a, with a boy. He was, wanted to try and say something about how dark I was. I said, like, and so, and we had a fight. And I beat him, he beat me. We both went up to the headmistress, you know, as you do. But I remember getting into quite a few fights because I wasn't going to stand there and let people just chat to me anyhow. But, yeah, very, very, very interesting growing up. Even in teenage years, even growing up then, it just very... The, percent, the, the way things are now compared to then, I think we deal with different issues, but definitely the identity thing of, like, you are, you are African... And you have no problem with being African. Everyone else seems to have a problem with you being African and wants to tell you about how wrong it is. That was that was quite strong when I was growing up. And it, it didn't, you know, it, it just didn't lead to me having a very positive image of of myself. Not that I hated myself as such, but I would always wonder, like, why, why would people want to treat me certain ways just because of where I'm from or how I look or whatever. Do, do, do you understand what I mean? So I don't know if that's enough or... Yeah. It's more than enough. It's really powerful. Thank you, Essie, for sharing that. Um, I'm actually appalled. I know it was a different time, but, you know, nowadays I think when young people come and they don't speak the language, there's a lot of support that they're offered. And, and as a teacher, you're a teacher, so I'm sure you know what kind of support is available nowadays if you're a child and your first language is in English? Oh, it's it's amazing what is offered to students now compared to... I remember just having to learn, just having to learn, and, like, um, our parents were told that we shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't let us carry on learning our home language um, because that would be a, a detrimental to us. We wouldn't be able to learn English properly. And... Um, well, my mum, anyway, she still spoke Ga. So even though I, I, when, I, when I was in Ghana, I was able to speak Fancy Tree and Ga, I kept the Ga because my mum continuously spoke it. So, but then I wasn't encouraged to speak back. So I understood, mm -hmm. but I would reply in English, you know. And, um, but I picked up English so fast, so quickly. And, you know, I read a lot and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I picked it up. But nowadays, the amount, like, you know, students will get separate classes. Everyone will understand that they're EAL children. Everyone will make, have leeway for them, you know, and et cetera. But it, none of that was around then. You just had to kind of 
you know, um, stick it out and, and and get through, and and yeah, and kind of hope for the best. But I can see why a lot of children may not have integrated very well, um, because because there was that lack in the system at the time, and um, yeah. And you talked about bullying as well. And I know, Abena, in the book, that that sort of difference between how Essie is compared to the other children comes up, doesn't it? So um, because you both um, came to this country as young children, I don't know if you had experiences like that that you wanted to share. And if you're in the audience, please raise your hand if you also want to talk about your experience or just comment or ask questions. So Abena or oh, Kufi? Go for it. Yes, so um, <laughs> there's so much I'm going to sort of add on to what uh, Essie was speaking about. Uh, coming into the UK, um, I, I, I don't actually remember, sort of, I do remember the code. I don't remember the exact scene of how things went along. What I do remember is my dad sort of had everything planned properly so to have as soon as we got to the airport we got whisked home and when we were coming off the plane i do remember he had like jumpers in his suitcase so as soon as we the plane landed he said here you go you know changing top you know top your tops with this and then um we went into the car and then we got home so in that aspect everything was pretty much so straightforward the challenges came when you know it was like you were having to fit in. And that was a case of, you know, you, you have the idea that you're coming to this world where, you know, you can be anything you want. And so you you are a very excited child in, in a playground. And then you, you go to school, that's when things start to manifest where, you know, you're, you're, trying, you're just a happy child. You know, like Izzy was saying, she, she was smiley. Not that she was smiley because, you know, of just, you know, being, uh, I don't know, a cheek, if that makes sense. But she was smiling because there was that excitement. Is this in all children that come from, you know, abroad to uh, elsewhere where they've been told so much about it to them it's a world of opportunities so that excitement is always there and you see in many children coming from ghana now um but the opposition or the issues that you come to realize is you know you have no idea of challenges like you know uh, racism etc etc or bullying you know that that doesn't even exist you know um, in Ghana, you say "ohumi," which is just teasing, but you know it, does, it doesn't go into the context of becoming bullying. You know, in, in my case, you know they will say things if I don't understand, I would just go "oh, I saw her," and then I would just carry on. Um, I, I knew some English words because you know I was very, very sort of interested in reading. You know, and I went to what they used to call an international school, preparatory school. And so I was not as fluent in English, uh, but what I was fluent in was Chi and English slightly in such a, in that so that I was able to sort of tell where I wanted to go. Sometimes I may use the wrong words. You know, I was swapping the words big and fat at the same time because I wasn't that uh, sort of acquainted with my verses and tenses. And what I came to find out was you 
you go to an environment over in school or elsewhere where you 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 would um sort of try to introduce yourself and you are unaware that there are some not like you there are some who don't like you at all you know and you only find out from their responses that's when you start to sort of pick out who likes you and who didn't and when we talk about when Leslie spoke about, you know, being teased of being too black uh, or go back to your country. Yes, that does exist. I mean, I had names like, you know, Coffee Bean, um, Boo Boo, Zulu Warrior, King Kong. I mean, it, it, sometimes when you look back, you're like, wow, it was never cool to be African back in our days. You know, you were bombarded at all, you know, all scenarios. And, not just that, because your fashion sense or your sort of idea of reality is totally different from what they have experienced since growing up. You have a whole different perception to them. And so, you know, to you, you're like, why doesn't everyone like me? You know, and it's not, it's an absolute, you know, mind grind as a child. And, you know, with all these opportunities, there are some who make it, there are some who don't, you know. You find m many of people who came through uh, that era that would say, or their, their parents would say, oh, these children that we brought from Ghana, they're so bad. And many would probably advise their, you know, their children, their others or their peers, not to sort of bring their children over because it was so hectic. The support system wasn't there. There was no ESO um, or English for speakers of other languages. That only came, just as I remember, as I was leaving, um, I was leaving DNK as the school was called that I was going to. And um, they it, it, it did have some kind of area where they said call it room nine. And what you would find is, is like all people that spoke the different languages. So you have the Bangladeshi, the Ghanaians, the Nigerians, all in a mixture. And that was also chaos because you find out half the time people don't understand each other. Never mind understood, you know, the teacher. And it was all just pushed to the same room. Like, yes, like, you know, get on with it sort of thing. Um, and so, yes, from the prior went to first year, uh, about six months of primary school before coming into my seventh uh, year seven and between that time until year 10 where my father decided you know what perhaps you need to be in Ghana to sort of finish off because uh, there's too much pressure on me to determine you know if I can actually be here and be a parent of yours with all the issues coming because I was getting into fights you know at least every six weeks, because someone would say something and I'd be like, well, no, that's not how I understand it. You know, that's your perspective. This is my perspective. And of course, being from Africa, I had a vision of what it's like to be here and of what it's like to be there. And so I have, you know, two or more ways of resolving issues. Whereas with them, they felt this is the only way to do it because they're used to, you know, a set way of doing things. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would like to add in terms of um, what Essie spoke about. I think it kind of uh, gives a bit of an idea of what m sort of my perspective was or um, what it was like growing up. But as you can see, I shared so many similarities with Essie's story, however, from also other um, experiences that she may or may not have experienced. And also being a, a lady as well, I'm sure she would have experienced 
other, you know, other differences that I would never have even thought of. So, yeah, this is something that is worth talking about because it is a challenge that many of us that came through were seen as the problem most of the time. You know, you have an issue at school, you didn't start anything, something happens, you always respond. And then, you know, you get caught doing something, you get to, okay, here you go, there's a submission, et cetera, et cetera. But it's always with fighting. And I was another thing I was, I found the children to be a lot more immature for their ages when I showed up, you know, and it, it was kind of hard getting used to, you know, sticking your tongue out. It was just uncalled for, but it was quite common in a primary school. And, you know, for going into sort of year seven, you find children doing it still. Um, so, yeah, there's so much sort of to speak about the challenges. And it's, it's only uncountable, honestly, uncountable. So, yeah, I'm going to leave it there, let someone also uh, say something. Well, actually, that's really powerful, uh, Kofi, and thank you for sharing that. Um, what I was going to say was, I don't know how it was for if you were able to share your experiences with your parents. And you know, a lot of us, our parents would believe the teacher. So I don't know if you got support, any of you, Essie, got support from, you know, you your parents. You couldn't say anything to them. And it's, not, and it's not necessarily because maybe they wouldn't listen to you, but it was more that they were so busy working, <laughs> you know, that there wasn't any time to really listen to you. It's kind of like they're under their own stress and then you're going to add your stress on top of them. Nah, it wasn't. It was about, for, well, for me anyway, it was about um, I was like the support network. So for me, because certain letters would come through straight away to me, my mum, oh, you, I have to read it. I have to understand it. I have to know the legal system. I have to know this, this, that and the other. Do you understand what I mean? To help her understand what was being, what was being communicated to her. You know, it's like, in a way, you become um, like a translator or an interpreter or something like that as well in some way. And it's like, my mum, she could get by fine. She, there was nothing, but it's just like, she feels like, oh, you've come, oh, you're good at, you're good in school, you know, you're reader, all that kind of stuff. You can do it. You, you, now I have this letter, I don't get exactly what they're trying to say. You tell me what they're trying to say. So me as, even before I went to secondary school, like, how, how am I meant to know anything? But I did my best. And you just get through. Um, but they don't have time to listen to you. And like I said, again, not because they maybe don't care, but it's just how the situation was. It's just how circumstances was. They were. They were. They don't have. They didn't have enough space to to listen to you. That's. I mean. That's. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Even as I'm not um, a migrant child, I had my mum always saying, "Can you write this letter? You've got better handwriting than me." And it's like I don't. But anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ellie Kay, welcome. I know you've got something to say, so please share with us. If you're there, are you there? Yeah, sorry, I'm driving as well, so, um, but yeah, I can speak, that's fine. Hi, everybody, and uh, thank you to Abuna for reading an excerpt from her book. I haven't read it, but I will be, because it piqued my interest a lot. Um, I think my, my experience is very much like Essie's experience 
as in Essie the person, not Essie the character. Um, and <laughs> in that, I came to the UK when I was four, um, speaking multiple languages, but only left with one uh, now. Um, and and also very similar to Coffee's experience in terms of, you know, times when it wasn't cool to be from Africa. And I remember, like, specific experiences when, you know, my mum would thread my hair with Ahoma and going into school and people would be like, what's that? Yes. That's strange. Sorry to interrupt but yes, because I was going to bring up that point. That was was definitely something that was very annoying, but carry on. Sorry for... No, it's okay. No, yes. And then, you know, people would be like, oh, you've got spiderwebs in your head. You know, very, like, immature, like, coffee bed and again not experiencing any kind of discrimination necessarily from you know the english kids the white kids but rather from the caribbean kids and the comments that i would get would normally be from them i think it took me i don't have a lot of memories from my younger years but i do know that after settling in like, I found primary school a fun experience. I think those were the happiest years of my life. So, although it was, yes, difficult at first, which it, it is for, you know, most children move into a new environment, new people, you're in the minority and all of that kind of baggage. I think once I settled in, I was okay. And um, I think, again, going back to parents working a lot, my, my parents, yes, they worked around the clock, but um, I'm blessed that my mum was always there for anything um, and made herself available. So she tried not to miss things, although I guess it was more trying not to miss things when it came to education. But when it came to, you know, extracurricular activities, that was by the wayside. I would do those things by myself. But yes, that, that was just my little bit to add. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing. Thank you. Uh, I'm not sure if I have to reset the room, as they say in Clubhouse, because um, we have, I think, Jamila and Akus and Amy, you've been here from more or less the start, but if, if you don't know, but we're joined by Abna, who's an author, and her book is looking up, you can see in her profile, and Kofi, who has a really amazing piece of software technology for those of us who like to write in our African languages and it's not just the Ghanaian languages I think it's across the board isn't it Kofi so we're talking about child migration the sort of trend that I've noticed when you're all speaking is you possibly started off with more than one language and unfortunately you're left with one so Essie I didn't know that you spoke all three that's really amazing and you can see that if you have the reinforcement from your parent that's what will keep you speaking that language so I think Kofi, is that right with you? Because you speak more than one. Uh, that's correct, yes. In my case, what happened was um, I had a younger sister at home, you know, who was also trying to learn the tree. And so when myself and my sister arrived, it was so an advantage for her and also an advantage for us to sort of pick the language from her. I think I sort of got the better between myself and my elder sister because I was still young. And I was very keen in sort of reading. I spent a lot of time also with my younger sister. And so she learned a lot from me as far as tree is concerned. 
uh, as Antique Akan is concerned. And I learned a lot from her as far as English is concerned. And so I remember very, very recently I was um, speaking at a football club. You know, there's uh, also the issue with, you know, children and their maturity that Ellie Kay um, emphasized about. And coming into such a world, you are, as I said, you are a, a child in the sort of, if you want to call it, Alice in Wonderland. There's so much to explore. There's so much to, you know, learn. Yet there are boundaries or hurdles that you haven't observed or been made aware of, you know, whether in school, uh, whether at church, you know. And so, so to communicate back with your experiences with your parents, for instance, in school, was an issue because coming from Ghana, the teacher is always right. And, you know, also in my case, both my parents were teachers before they came to this country. I've got no word in it, if you want to call it. So it took a while for my mum to suggest, could it be that he's not the problem, but the problem is actually the kind of environment. And so when the change of environment came, to, you know, going to complete my studies in Ghana, it was sort of a blessing because it also gave me another feedback onto, okay, what the situation was when I left, what it was when I returned, and then when I came back to the UK, it even the idea of what is actually required in Ghana. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think it's really important that we keep talking, so I think you're... And- uh, platforms like this help us. Uh, Kustia, I think you have something you'd like to share about your experience? Uh, yes, yes. Thanks. Thanks, Avna. Um, it's interesting. I was just thinking that it was interesting listening to um, everybody's story, um, including um, the character, AC, the character in the, in the in uh, Abner's book, but especially this question about dislocation, but also difference, and then how parents' decisions affect their children, but also how parents are really clueless about those effects. I mean, my migration story is uh, is, is similar in, in terms of some of those themes, but different in terms of where. So, uh, and I think, and, and in some ways, I think the age also matters in, in this story, or at least it matters in terms of how um, jarring the shock can be and, and, and perhaps even how, how long the pain may last. So, But for me, it was, um, I think, when about age, because I wasn't born in Ghana, so I was born in the UK, but at a very young age, we moved to Kenya, but I don't remember anything about that. But I remember that at 11, we left Kenya to come to Ghana because an aunt told my father it was a good idea. I don't remember any decisions about making the move. I just remember the move. Um, and then also coming to Ghana and within the first month, because of my age, ending up in boarding school. Um, and so this whole question about being dislocated and uh, and your life being in some ways being turned upside down uh, overnight. And then also this thing about, you know, I think I was really like a, a, a mama about kind of thing. So, so also going to boarding school as well as a concept, right? Um, and not having any experience, like when I compare with my siblings, because my siblings came when they were age one and age three. So for them, you know, the idea of going to boarding school, they grew up with it through primary school with their friends and planned where they wanted to go, etc. And then I think for me, what was 
difficult, I suppose, was, I think, for like for a lot of kids, you know, leaving what was familiar behind, leaving friends behind, familiar terrain. I also, when I came to Ghana, had a Kenyan accent, so I got teased a lot. I got told, I think I speak the Queen's English. I didn't know anything about the Queen, so that, that was interesting. But at the same time, as a kid, I suppose, you survive, you acclimatize, you, find, you make friends, you know, you find your way. You find ways to heal, I think, as well. Well, that's true and untrue in certain ways. Let's say, let's say you find ways to hide the trauma better, right? So to because you can find it comes up later in life. It comes up. I know for me, it comes up even as an adult, as a, an uncomfortable relationship with things Ghanaian. But what I think is also interesting is maybe around this is also this idea of culture. And so for, you know, I think a lot of parents just assume, and maybe because that's also their, their experience, you just observe, or you absorb culture through osmosis. You don't need to be broken into it gently. In my case, it was really this idea of, I think, coming to Ghana and before coming to Ghana, thinking I was Ghanaian until I got here and I was told I wasn't. And, and then, of course, with parents being baffled because you don't know certain things, but then they didn't teach you those things. You know, and I find that also in, interesting, at least now as an adult, not, not as a child. But yeah, so it's a different experience, but some of the same themes, um, even, even themes of bullying, I think, because in boarding schools here, the boarding school environment in Ghana, at least, well, it might be different now. This was in late 70, so 78 to about 83. It was sort of tough because, you know, all first years are homoed. So think of kids, you know, 10, 11. Well, some are as old as 15, but the younger ones who some have never left home. So now you're in an environment where you're at the mercy of your seniors, so to speak. And I know in some of the schools, like the boys' schools, some boys, like some kids died. So it wasn't just a matter of being scared. But I think, yeah, a lot of it is really around difference and fear. Hence those who bully and then those who are bullied. Yeah. And that's it now for me. Yeah, thanks. Oh, my gosh. Of course, yeah. The, the, the last thing that you said, I mean, I, I've never heard about children have like suffering so much that they die. That is just really shocking. I think it's interesting that your experience takes you in the other direction. And I think we always think of it the other way. But it's it's really powerful that you talk about moving to another African country and then moving to Ghana and facing some of many of the same things that I think Essie and Kofi have spoken about. In part two of this segment, author Abner Eisen explores the topic of choice through the eyes of 13-year-old Essie the protagonist in her book, Looking Up. Essi lives with her grandmum, her aunt and cousin, and is about to be told about her mum's plans to have her move to the UK. Does she have a choice? We find out. And I ask audience members if they think their parents made the right choice when they moved abroad. The music in this episode is a special remix exclusively for Academy magazine called Life No Easy by Chechaku and the Super Pong Stars. <laughs>